Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Travis. And I'm George. And George and Dan turned the tables on Travis tonight and showed him a movie that he's never seen, that George and I have seen. It's like a Christmas miracle. (laughs) God bless us, everyone. (laughs) Tonight we watched, George, you want to talk about it? Tonight we watched No Country for Old Men. Is it a Western? It is not a Western. Is it a slasher? It's not a slasher. Uh, What is it? It's a uh, melodrama whodunit. Murder mystery, I guess, in a way. I think it might be a slasher. You think it's a slasher? A little bit. I guess I can see that. I think think it's also a Western. It's Myers if he could talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I, it's almost like the begin, the beginning of a serial killer. Like he seems still justified in what he's doing. It's See, not full out serial killer, like no purpose, whatever. Like it seems justified, not just in his mind, but in the in the world he's in. So to me, I don't put that as a serial killer. I look at more as like a vigilante, the Punisher type stuff. That's how I looked at it. Hmm. When I think serial killer, I think of no purpose other than in that crazy mind. But he's kind of in a world where it's kind of necessary to be this way. No? Huh. Okay. Great insight. That's how I, mean, I look at it. Like, when you see a serial killer, you everybody who's normal goes, what the fuck? But I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, okay, he's kind of, he's off, but he's he's... He's in his mind. There's purpose for what he's doing, and if you look at the out, the the uh, where he's doing this, the environment, it's not like he's going into a Walmart and doing this. Like he's he's wiping out shitty people. He's a shitty person. Like he's in a shitty world. So I don't look at it as serial killer ish, but I do see his behavior as borderline on that. Level like once he runs out of bad guys, yeah, he might go mow down some people in Walmart, which just looks looks like where he was heading at the very end of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I I mean, hey, that's a take. I have a different one. Now, George, you've seen this movie before. Yeah. When was the last time you watched it? I don't know. Probably, maybe like five years ago or so. Okay, mm. so it's relatively fresh in your mind. You're familiar with it. Did you see a lot new tonight on your most recent viewing now that you've got the lens of the the Jason movies and Halloween and all these things that I've been throwing at you lately? No. Good. No, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it. I mean, honestly, if I like watched it and analyzed it, yeah, I could probably see a bunch of it. But I I love this movie. It's like one of my favorites. So, I sat down to watch it and I just cleared my mind and I just let myself get taken by it Mm. again (laughs) (laughs) again now did you do what i normally do where i sit there and i almost i don't enjoy the movie because i think about how you're gonna feel no no because you're not like (laughs) me you don't care i don't care what you think (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes that ruins it for me because i'm like okay i love this movie but he might not like it 
So sometimes it makes it stressful for me. Did you like this movie? I liked it. I wanted to love it, and I probably will if I watch it a few more times. Okay. The Coen brothers are, they grow on you. Like the, mm. every movie I've seen of theirs is like this. Uh, genius script writing, uh, great characters, great dialogue, like everything you want in a movie, but it's just so batshit crazy sometimes where you're just like, what? Mm. Like there are a few points in this movie where I'm like, okay, you were so detailed on everything and then you left things hanging at the end, which is fine. Like they didn't show Brolin's death. They didn't show, like they didn't show things. Is he alive? Did he fake his death? I don't know. Is there going to be a sequel? I was almost thinking like Bruce Wayne type shit where they planned his death to get him out of there. I really wish I this was a video happen. podcast so that everybody could see the face I just made. <laughs> With a, a complete <laughs> eye roll? Just like, what? No. They showed everybody's death. Uh, kind of like in Die Hard. Like, they show everybody's death. It's definite. Boom. Headshot. Don't, hit by a car. Boom. Dog bites his face off. Done. You know it. But then they don't show Brolin's death. And I thought that was odd. Not saying that's what they were thinking. Not saying anywhere near that's what happened. But to me, it seemed weird that that was the only character that they didn't show the death of. And uh, she shows up. They don't show him show, see the body. They just show him looking in the morgue. They don't show the body, the unzipped body bag. Like all that stuff in mm-hmm. my mind, I'm going, why are they spending all this time not showing him? It was almost like, and even with her death, they didn't show her death either. So my mind, after watching a thousand movies plus, I'm thinking, okay, there's a reason why everybody's death is shown except for them those two deaths i can be completely wrong but it just seemed odd very cohen-esque you know it's hilarious to think about how you guys watch movies together and how your general just personality dynamics just betray themselves in your methods right (laughs) travis wants to know everything that George is thinking in these movies. He wants to feel it with George. He wants to interact. He is Josh Brolin in this movie taking water to the guy in the middle of the night because he just wants Mm. to feel better and try to sleep after those horrible things he's been through. (laughs) Meanwhile, Anton Shajorj over here is just like (laughs) cold and in it for him. It's amazing. I'm glad that we watched this movie in this format. (laughs) Holy mackerel. And did you enjoy? Because this is like one of the first or second movies you've seen with with um, Tommy Lee Jones, right? What was the first one? Well, I assume you had to have seen one other Tommy Lee Jones movie. Oh, <laughs> like I, I thought you sh- I thought you showed me one. No, uh, for the have podcast. you seen him in anything else? I recognized him because I don't know about you, Dan, but the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking this is the same character he played in The Fugitive. Think me up a re- donut. Yeah, he's now he's now retired, and he's ended up in Texas, and he's doing the shit again, <laughs> but mm. as a sheriff and not as a federal agent. Have you ever seen The Fugitive? No, I haven't. Okay, not. I think you would probably enjoy that movie. Uh, it'll go on the list. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, and it's great. Timely Jones. It's like him at his prime. It's this character, but younger and 
funnier. I think you and I can both agree, Travis, that Tommy Lee Jones was in his prime between Under Siege and Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> right? Sure. No? I don't oh. know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fugitive is good stuff. Yeah, U.S. Good Marshals, stuff. not not good not stuff. Not good, no. Silent Night, Deadly Night, two levels of bad. Yeah, it, it definitely was lightning in a bottle that oh, they tried to catch man. again and didn't work. But yeah, that's all I was thinking when watching him. And Brolin, I mean, I, I could watch him read the phone book. I mean, he's just amazing in everything he does. Uh, Woody Harrelson again. No matter what, when he's on screen, what he's playing, I'm, I'm in. I mean, there's not a performance in this movie that isn't aces. In no. a lot of ways, I'm going to put it up next to Sounds of Lambs in terms of just consistent performances, scripting, adaptation of a novel with all the depth kept in, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, dudes. The only difference for me is the performances in this are equal, but I think the performances in Silence are more memorable because they're quotable and they're, they, to me, this movie, I guess it will grow on me and will be quotable, but I still put Silence above this. We need to work you, we need to work into Nostalgia Travis's like <laughs> inner sanctum, you know, right. work our way into your heart so that. Every now and then you'll just turn to your wife and go, Ho, Sheriff! Because I do that at least once a month. Yeah, he's good. Ho, Sheriff! He was good. I, I loved when he was going through the crime scene on top of the horse, and they're just like basically telling you exactly what happened just based on how the bodies are laying and where the dog is. Like To me, I love that kind of police work. It's total speculation, but completely scientific. Yeah. <laughs> to well, the I point mean, where you're like, they were right completely. In a lot of ways, that is profiling, which we keep yeah. coming back to on the mm-hmm. show. But that's just a, an earlier. I mean, timeline-wise, there is profiling in 1980, but you know that is old-fashioned, piecing it together detective work, just right. right in front of you for you to see. No tricks, no gotchas. Just we know what we're doing, and we see what we see, and look. Oh, we're surmising, and we're yeah. Oh man. That oh he, this movie it was kind of oh. Terminator ish too like I kind of I think I said that to George at some point like he's like the Terminator but like eighty four Terminator like he's he's three steps ahead talking about sugar yeah and he's calculated and but then they kind of bring you back to he's human by showing that there's a there's a transmitter. But mm-hmm. then the transmitter's gone and he's still on top of things like mm-hmm. I was waiting for him to turn in the metal at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, it was it was good character. I like how you you kind of said he was serial killer ish because I was thinking that, but I don't I don't know if I said serial killer. I said slasher or slasher. Yeah, yeah. but way yeah, back in like two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, something like that. Uh, what year did this come out? Two thousand seven. So it would have been two thousand eight. I was presenting a paper at a conference. And uh, I was in college, and I had written a a paper on slasher movies. And mm. I just brought this up as the first best picture winning slasher movie. And everybody looked at me like I was insane. But then you guys came to that conclusion on your own. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for not making me say that. Cause and ironically, I did a paper on stop motion animation. <laughs> I mean, write what you know, man. Write what you know. No, hmm. this this movie changed me a little bit. It just it raised the uh, the ceiling for ambition as far as like philosophy in action. 
you know, not in mm. words generally. Like this is a movie that just shows you everything instead of bothering to just, I mean, is there any exposition in this movie? I'm trying to think at the beginning, like there's not a lot of like context, you know? Right. It, they just no. throw you in and you see oh, action, but the yeah. action itself shows you each character's philosophy. Never once do you have exposition until the very end. And even mm-hmm. that is so shrouded in, you know, Cohen Brothers magic and uh, right. of course Cormac McCarthy who wrote the book. Yes. That's right. You know, uh, the between his work and the Cohen Brothers adaptation of it, they never have spoon-feed you anything in this movie. No. And so you you might need two or three viewings to really like come up with your take of what it is and then still you might every time you watch it add something new, right? Mhm. We don't see that in a lot of the movies we've watched so far where every time you watch it, you may come away with a different interpretation of the whole thing. He was almost like a like a super villain. I like, love how Travis is, is doing what I normally do. <laughs> like thinking out loud. Is he is he a Terminator? Is he a super villain? I think I'm going to toast <laughs> you Is he guys a serial killer? Hold on. No, he's not a serial killer. <laughs> what did he do? I don't know. I just opened up a ginger beer, y'all. Dude, your bone is sticking out. <laughs> I buy your shirt. <laughs> Dude, you got a fucking a lot bone of buying, sticking out here. A lot of buying clothing yeah, in this movie. Your clothes, give them to me. <laughs> yeah, no, very transactional, you know. Yeah, bartering system. But I think it's a way to like show common ground between these like polar opposite characters and Anton and Llewellyn. Uh, so you see the, you know. Llewellyn and Anton in very similar situations, but you see how differently they both handle them. Mm. Very intentional way to just, instead of telling you, just show you. Just present parallel situations so you can see how the character themselves react within that situation. Right. But the parallel to me was uh, Llewellyn character was the reactive character. Like he was reacting to the situations. He wasn't really creating the situations. And uh, sh- was it Sugar? Anton. 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 Shigur. 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 Anton was that's, basically that's facilitating all the, all the situations. Like he was never on the receiving end up until the fact that he tracked him down in the street and then he was on the receiving end. But well, he was always the one in control of the situations. Now let me pose he, this question to you. And I know you just finished the movie 20 minutes ago. Was Anton in control and was Llewellyn reacting or did Llewellyn's outlook and philosophy of life, right? His way of being, was he always reactive Mm. and was Anton always attempting to be in control? Because he acted like he was in control, but does he have any kind of magic powers? Does he have any kind of you know, fate at his back or no. are the decisions he's making and the way he carries himself allowing him to maintain this, you know, constant feeling of invulnerability, which obviously toward the end of the movie, you realize it's just a facade. It's just yeah. a mask. Well, they both cl- clearly are impulsive characters, but to me, uh, they seemed impulsive to me. When was Anton impulsive? Give me two examples. I, I I feel like his entire personality was based on his drive to do what he needed to do, but would imp- 
improvise and do what had to be done at that situation once it changed. Uh, doing things uh, to me it didn't like he wasn't driven by money per se. I don't know what he was really driven by other than reputation. He's a complex character. Yeah, I mean he he wasn't getting a payday. You don't even know if he was getting paid to track the money down. Was it his money? Was he hired to find the money? Was he hired to like? To me, there was yeah. a lot of open ended things there, where I kind of took him as he had a goal. But he also was impulsive. He would kind of let his emotion. He wasn't emotional. Are you talking about like he was impulsive in the way he would just take someone's life willy nilly? Yeah, right? I, I don't like, think he was very premeditated. I think he just kind of was on the fly. There were in times. The okay, okay, I can see there. There are times when he just offs somebody because it's convenient. Right. Right, and it's not like premeditated. You know, they don't. They don't show it, but you know the chicken, the chicken truck guy, like he offed them. He didn't. He, have to. he, he offed them. Just taken car, the right, truck. exactly. And they they did show the other one, the first car that he uh, right. th- that he got, um, kind of to show off that neat little weapon that he had. Like in the beginning, I kind of thought he might have been a hitman, mm-hmm. so that these hits that were happening in the beginning weren't impulsive. They were all right. This guy he pulled over. Was was he part of this whole plan? And then mm-hmm. I realized, no, he just wanted his car. Yeah. So, but as I'm watching from the beginning, because like you said, it gets right into it. Mm-hmm. It's like seven. It, like, boom, credits. Now you're involved. There's bodies laying all over the place and you're mm-hmm. in it. So to me, no matter who he was killing, it took some time throughout the story to realize, okay, they weren't part of this. They were just involved and he just it's took a, them out. If When you look at this the 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 cast the list of cast members can you believe that one two three four five Aquaman is like the fifteenth person mm-hmm. on the screen Aquaman that means <laughs> there weren't very many people in right. this movie no there weren't right but did it feel kind of hard to follow yeah um, there's, there's only like five important people in this movie right. Why was it so hard to follow? I didn't think it was hard to follow, but like I said, when I was trying to figure again, I tried yeah, to watch it. because they left you trying to figure a bunch of right, sh- like shit when, out. Right, when he killed the two guys in the suits yeah. at the scene. Mm-hmm. They never really explained how they knew him. Nope. And where how they came about, the three of them standing there. Mm-hmm. And then when he offed the two of them, I'm like, okay, was he hired to find the guy who owned the truck was mm-hmm. he hired to find this who hired him like there's a whole bunch of who a lot of mystery a lot of mystery so then when you start in, when they involve more and more characters you're paying attention more it's all done on purpose it's the same th- thing in Fargo and every movie they make every character is important even when they're not mm-hmm. like they're they're written that way so you gotta kinda take it as they come and go okay I thought he was important and he's nobody so I'm going to move on. He is just Aquaman. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to pop up later and be the son of some drug lord, whatever. Like, he was just Aquaman. And we're going to move on. <laughs> and that's fine. It gives everybody a little depth in their little character uh, twists for well, five minutes. Aquaman is important because he is what drags Llewellyn out of his trailer in, right. in the middle of the night. Right. And it gives you your first real look at his, like, his 
his great flaw, which is mm-hmm. his humanity. He's held back by this humanity, this empathy, and at every turn, when if he were less attached, if he could detach himself and just hit the road, he might have been fine. But mm. the decisions he made up front and his personality combine to lead to this untimely end. Now, I love the beginning when he shoots at the deer, hits him, but doesn't kill him. And it creates that literal crossroads in the blood. Mm-hmm. And you give him that choice, right? And it's that thing where once he takes the left instead of going straight, he has sealed his fate. Hmm. He came to the crossroads, he made his choice, and he wrote the rest of his story right there. He didn't know, but that was the moment that he wrote his own story. I kind of equated him a little bit to uh, the Janet Lee character in Psycho, too. You know, with that money, he it kind of brought him into this world. If yeah, he didn't go absolutely. for that money, he he would not have, none of this would have happened. Yep. Mm. Same thing with her. She took that money, she went on the lamb and ended up at that hotel, and that was it, or the motel. So to me, like you said, it's all, like my, my dad always says, life's about choices and chances, and if you make the wrong choices, you're not going to have the right chances. Yeah. So, you know, everything you do has a cause and effect. So. Also, another cool parallel with the money in both movies, Psycho and this one, the money didn't matter. Hmm. Yep. In like, both cases, in it's it's a MacGuffin, right? It's just yeah. yep. a, a plot device. Plot mm-hmm. device, yep. Now, I think, I mean, I love this movie because of kind of what you said, Dan, how like the, uh, the, the Llewellyn character is held back by his humanity, right? It's not that Anton is superhuman. It's not that he's super calculated. It's not that he, it's like what he says to uh, Carson right before he kills him. Mm -hmm. He talks about his rule or his rules. And what about your rules got you in this position? Right. The thing that's different about Anton is he doesn't have those rules. And that's why he seems like superhuman. Mm. He's not. He just doesn't. He just doesn't well, care. To me, I, I wasn't even thinking his personality as being superhuman. Just his ability to think, like just the development of the weaponry and how he he thinks five steps ahead. And you see that way of life works. In, like Carson's the same way. Who would have known to go out to that bridge, and all of a sudden, like he's already putting himself in in Llewellyn's position. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. he could have stood here. He stood here. He obviously could have stood here. I'm gonna look. Like they're in a in a world and in a in a a job. I guess it's a job where they think that way and they almost think three different ways at the same time. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what made him, in my mind, like the Punisher. Like he was so calculated and. Like the difference between the Punisher and Batman is one kills and one doesn't. So that's his right. one rule. Batman's one rule is I'm not going to kill. Mm-hmm. He, Anton has the other rule. So he's more like uh, Nick Castle, where, not you know, Frank Castle. <laughs> Nick Castle's Michael Myers. Uh, <laughs> Frank Castle. He's quite who a bit like Nick Castle. So, I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. 
uh, basically is driven by just being, you know, justice through murder. So it's the opposite of Batman. So to me, Anton is his justice is to kill whatever's in his way and or whoever wronged him or whoever. Like he didn't show any restraint until he went the two face route where he starts flipping coins. Mm-hmm. So he's he's multi level. He's the kind of character that you want to watch a bunch of times to see what he's thinking and yeah. what leads into what. To talk about it with one watch, I'm finally in your shoes, so I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Empathy. <laughs> now go look over the railing. He might have thrown something over there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, 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 a multiple watch type movie. Yeah, so if if Anton had a rule, I think it would just be Anton's number one, hmm. you know, cover my own tracks at all costs. And apparently, you know, if I say I'm going to do it, I do it. Right. Right. You know, because no even, matter what, even yeah. though Llewellyn's dead, he still comes after his wife. And it's like, why? For what? Because he said he was going to. Right. You know? Keeps his word. Which which is where it gets strange. It's right. It's almost like he has a, a weird code of ethics. He has a code. Yeah. <laughs> but you just haven't right. figured it out yet. You've right. watched this movie for two hours. But you still don't know what it is. Right. You know? Well, I felt the same way with Llewellyn. It's like his flaw is his humanity, but he's also his flaw is his, in a good way, you know, he brings the guy the water, which gets him involved, mm-hmm. but his flaw is humanity in a bad way because he's greedy in a way. Mm-hmm. And he's driven by, but he's driven not out of greed like, you know, a CEO would be driven. He's more, he just wants out of the lifestyle that he has, and he sees this as a way out. Right. So it's a, it's not a, it's not a greedy greed, like, oh, I need all the money, 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 money. But it was almost like opportunist. This is my only chance. Yeah. To get out of this. Very much hurt. the Janet Lee, right? Right. Never right. had any intent to find the money. If he had been told there was money to be found, he never would have raced Anton and Carson for the money. That's not in his nature. But he finds the money. He happens upon the money. And in that moment, he decides, I mean, when else else am I going to find this much money? I'm Mm -hmm. obligated to take this money. How could I leave this money here? I'm just going to have to take it and make make, uh, do with whatever comes. (laughs) And he just couldn't have known that Anton is what comes. Right. Shit, I've done that with 10 bucks. Has Anton found you yet? No, but I've I've I remember finding twenty dollars in the parking garage at work, and was literally thinking, "Oh my god, did they see me on camera? Find this? Is someone going to go to the front desk and like?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in the end, like months later, there was a memo that goes out and said something about you know if anybody finds anything, return it to the. And I'm thinking, are they talking about me? Did they? <laughs> <laughs> Did they see me on camera? Got a guilty, got a guilty conscience. Catholic yeah, so guilt. It's like Catholic guilt. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was thinking of that with him. Like, y- you could have taken the money and run, but you're never gonna relax. Mm. Never, not with two million dollars. Well, especially that's why leaving that scene when he throws it over the bridge. You know, he knows where it is. He might go back and get it. But I think you see him detach from the money and just kind of give up and be like, okay. Now I have to take care of the things that are actually important to me, and maybe I'll come right. back for that money. Spoiler alert: 
he's not coming back for that money. No. Even though they didn't show his body. I mean, he had a gaping bullet wound in his chest and was dead on the ground. Yeah. What do you want, man? You want to see the uh, the burial in an open casket, like a glass casket, and then stick around for two weeks and make sure he's not David Blaining you? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I don't think it's a big deal that you don't see people die. No. But it did stick out because they were the only two that you didn't see die. Well, you don't see the mother-in-law die. I wanted to see her die. <laughs> she had a little bit of, uh, what's her name, from part her. five in her, didn't she? Oh, my gosh. Oh, she she's like, great. She's wonderful. Oh, I love her, but I, I just I, I wanted to hate her so much in this because she was perfect, perfectly played. So I want to talk about that scene with the coin in the gas station. The first time mm-hmm, we see him mm-hmm. spare someone who's seen his face. Mm-hmm. He betrays so much of his rule, his personal philosophy, in the description of the coin. Do you remember what he says? I remember what he says after he after he calls it his lucky coin. So he says it's from pocket. 1958, and That's that right. it has That's traveled right. 22 mm-hmm. years to this moment. This moment, right? Right. He is just as determinist as a person can be. So. He has such a strong belief in his own existence within this fate that he is a part of that this coin, the purpose of this coin was to get to this moment to decide you. And I'm just here. I, You know, ooh, mm-hmm. fate did it. If I kill mm-hmm. you, fate did it. I mean, it's a fun mix of like sociopathy and uh, a belief system. Mm. It makes for a very harrowing experience for everybody around him. That's for damn sure. There's a quote in a, a, a gross point blank where Martin Blank says if he's a hitman and he's like, if if I show up at your doorstep, chances are you've done something to bring me there. You know, you're not a good person. Mm. So I don't feel bad about this. But then and go back to what the guy, what Anton says to the guy working at the store. He says twice, oh, you married into this. And the mm. guy's like, well, that's a weird way to put it. And he's like, no, no, no. You married into this right it's like Mm -hmm. this moment that we're in this you know coin flip to decide your life this coin flip for everything is all the result of all these other things he's already talking about and now he realizes ha your marriage right you married some lady and that marriage helped bring you right to this moment to me to the hand of fate and a coin like Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> it's 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 heart-wrenching to just that that level of chance. Like your whole everything that's going to happen after this moment is based on that one choice. Yep. Heads or tails. So with the um with the convenience store guy. I actually liked that coin flip because you could see that Anton was clearly agitated with the guy. Hmm. And I guess he decided that he was going to kill him, right? And then, you know, the guy was apologetic, and the guy, like, you know, like, there was this weird dynamic, like, Anton's trying to figure out what he's going to do with this guy, right? Because the guy's really no threat to him. He doesn't know who he is, doesn't know, you know, whatever. It's really just a cat and mouse game that he's doing. Right. Yeah. So he leaves it to the coin, right? That kind of makes sense. At the very end, when he leaves it up to the coin with Llewellyn's wife, Carla Jean? Carla Jean. Okay. 
That doesn't make any sense at all. Because he already made the choice to go kill her. Yeah. And then he he, sh- yeah. 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 So he has shown his face to the wife of the guy that he killed. If he lets her live, she knows who he is, what he looks like, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You know, can th- it can cause all kinds of problems for him. And I don't think that he would leave it up to chance because of what? Because she was a sad widow? I don't know if I like that coin flip. Mm. You know? I think it's it comes down to the way she carries herself in that moment. You know, there's this thing where she does end up reduced to just the mess on the bottom of his shoes, which is real fucked up. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. But she appeals to something in his reasoning that makes him need the coin, right? Something in the way she delivers her her, uh, her plea to him. It somehow triggers that same, it's not a humanity like in a Llewellyn case, but it's like something in him just decides, you know what? I don't need to kill this person. But maybe I should. Right. I don't need to anymore. Same with the gas station guy. I don't have to kill this guy. But maybe I should. Let's see what fate tells me. See what your fate decides. Let's just see what the coin flip says. Hmm. Deep. It's like the closest thing he has to humanity. And you have to be careful to not equate fate with chance. Because there is no... 50 50 chance in his mind in anton's mind instead the coin itself in this grand plan this grand scheme this determinist everything happens for a reason world that coin doesn't decide that coin indicates and i think that's the main difference when we talk about a harvey dent where it's justice and chance this is instead indicator of your fate Decided not by the coin, but by a higher power. And in so many ways, this is why he laughs when they talk about the marriage of the convenience store guy. Because it's not that he thinks it's funny that the guy married into his fate. It's almost a feeling of accomplishment. Like, oh, we did it. We worked our way back from this moment into your past to find the moment at which you sealed your fate. Ha ha, there it is. You married into it. That's why I'm here. That's why the coin. We flip the coin, call the coin, because this is how it all goes. This is how the plan proceeds. I don't need to kill you, but maybe fate needs you dead, and we won't know until we see what's on the coin. Same with Carla Jean. I don't need to kill you, but let's see what the coin says. But he does say with Carla Jean, oh, you all say you don't have to do this. But it's not him that's doing this. Fate is doing this through him. So he may or may not have to. But if the coin indicates that it's time for you to die, you're going to die, whether he needs to or not. But it doesn't always work out. It's about 50-50 from what I understand. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that line with the accounting guy. After he, he... the guy who hires all these people to get his money gets blasted by right. Anton. And the accounting guy, he says to him, well, do you see me? <laughs> and then it cuts <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow. I guess the guy's going to say, no, I didn't see it. And he's going to get away just fine. Like, whoo, 
lucky for that accounting guy. And then by the end of the movie, you're like, that accounting guy got fucking killed. Yeah. He's so fucking it. dead. He probably <laughs> threw him out the window. Oh, man. <laughs> this had... Did you watch Ozark? Yeah. No. Okay. This has a lot of that um, feel of Ozark, where it's just like the tension, the character-driven tension, where you just are not sure where it's going to go. And once it goes, you're like... Yeah, I saw that coming, but I'm still shocked. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I live Ozark every day. <sighs> they they filmed uh, at least the actual like the Ozarks are only about an hour yeah. and a half away. So I mean, I'm I'm familiar with that culture. So when I saw the show, I was like, "Oh, hey, it's my people." And then about half an episode in, I was like, "Oh, this no, show kind of goofy." You thought it was goofy? It's so goofy, man. None of that stuff. None of the plot elements of Ozark like they're just so all they're also amplified yeah that it's I just, just love it's the characters farce, right the characters are fine but they exist in a world that's just so amplified from reality that i just can't connect hmm. but well, i never watched really around a lot of drug lords that's stuff, true so it's, yeah that's <laughs> true <laughs> you're not doing any drug cartel uh money laundering in in the uh the ozarks right I don't know the second seat, the whole thing with the casino. Like you, Missouri state law doesn't of let you. Of course, you uh, would gosh. say that the Ozarks doesn't <laughs> seem listen <laughs> like the real thing. I guess Dan. we can have our opinion on Jersey shit, and he can have his opinion. <laughs> I on the suppose. Ozarks. Well, let me get I out suppose. a map real quick, and we'll talk about what part yeah. of the Ozarks that show takes place in. <laughs> and my concerns. Is that in the armpit, dude? It's all armpits all the way around down there. Well, I don't understand. They go back to Kansas City in like a half hour. Multiple times on that show, and that's a right. good three and a half hour drive. Like, well, that's yeah, a pretty yeah. basic fact. They, I mean, it'd be like if you were in Philadelphia and you were like, "Hey, we're just gonna go to New York. We'll be there in ten minutes." I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> think that's how that works, bro. That's, that's a long funny. drive. Not, not to go completely off topic, but uh, Harold and Kumar save the world or something like that. Uh, did you ever hear see that movie? I saw White Castle, the first one. The White the White Castle one. The entire premise was they were going to drive from Rutgers, New Brunswick, to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to go to the White Castle. They're driving for like seven hours down the turnpike. (laughs) And when they get to Cherry Hill, they have to hang glide off a cliff to get to the White Castle. Okay. And I'm like, first of all, the White Castle is not in Cherry Hill. It's in Pensaugan. Second of all, (laughs) we don't have any cliffs. (laughs) Do some location uh, scouting. And uh, you can't hang glide to any White Castle anywhere near Cherry Hill. <laughs> well, Just because it's called Cherry Hill doesn't mean it's a giant oh, mountain. Also, it's a half an hour drive. Yeah, it's like 35 <laughs> minutes from New Brunswick to yeah. Cherry Hill. I think it's going to break a lot of hearts, guys, to find out that Travis and George don't think Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> Is a realistic just, depiction of their... It's just not realistic. I just found it funny. It's just not realistic. It's man. just not the state I at just all. couldn't get into they it. They didn't man. even bother. <laughs> you want to talk like, about whatever. You want to talk about don't even, don't even bother. Go back and watch the final scene of the first Harold and Kumar movie. Because, guys... <laughs> the whole movie didn't bother. Cal Penn is a vegetarian, <laughs> I assume, because his uh, White Castle burger has no patty. Oh, okay. They went through all that bullshit to get to White Castle, and he has like a mustard and ketchup sandwich. <laughs> But Neil Patrick Harris was awesome, so whatever. Anyway. We don't want to digress too far. If there was an accident on the turnpike, it could have taken seven hours. Maybe. But, I mean, they literally were just driving. It was just streetlights passing their faces for hours, so they weren't hitting any traffic. Mm. 
which is odd on the turnpike. Maybe they took a wrong turn. It might have been the parkway, which even takes them further away from Cherry Hill. Mm. Mm. So you know who's missing from this? Who? I was waiting to see, and I'm like, wh- wh- where is he? Where's Buscemi? Where's mm. Francis McDermott? Oh, interesting. Where are the Cohen staples? It's like watching a, you know, a Raimi movie without Bruce Campbell or uh, a Sandler movie without Buscemi. Or who's the other guy in every one of his movies? You keep saying all these names. I don't know who any of them you are. Do. You will. But I know who Buscemi is. Yeah. And he does seem like he belongs in this movie. He does belong in this movie. Definitely. I'm trying to think, where where would you cast Buscemi, Dan? I mean, I could have seen him as gas station guy. Hmm. Definitely. Hmm. I'd like to see him have a bigger role than that, yeah. but I think really gas station guy is like... I would have seen him as the funny cop, the funny sheriff. Cop. Nah, too much like Barney. Yeah, Barney Fife. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Hmm. He would have been the uh, the guy who comes up to the mother-in-law <laughs> asking her yep. you know, where she's staying. I could yeah, see him doing that, that part with hair slicked back. Just smarmy. But he'd Ugh. have to be Mexican. Or he, he, he could have been the yeah. guy who didn't secure his load. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes. I know it's it's a small one, but when they have the quote from Torbert about how we dedicate ourselves daily anew to truth and justice, and then, oh, damn it, or whatever, and he pulls out and yeah. has to get the guy to cover the bodies up <laughs> on the back of his truck. But, you know. We, we didn't have a four by four. Yeah, he's just, he takes on like a new, I feel like in that scene, the sheriff, Ed Tom, uh, what a name. Mm. What a name. Ed Tom. Ed Tom. Hell yeah. Uh, it's like Tommy Jason's cousin. <laughs> Eddie Tommy. <laughs> Eddie Tommy. Eddie Tommy. <laughs> oh, jeez Louise. Would have been funny if his name was um, Lee Tom. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in that scene, he like, he, I feel like he passes from, you know, in the moment, active leadership to like paternal. Right, like he, mm. that's one of those first steps you see toward knowing that he is going to retire soon, because until then, you know, oh, the the crime is getting worse. Oh gosh, this crime. Oh, it's getting worse. It's leaving me behind. All these like hints, mm-hmm. but I think it's that moment when it just it keys in that this guy's done. Right, he's moved on to a new role, and pretty soon he's not going to be a sheriff anymore. Right. I, yeah. I, I he I related him to the. Uh... Morgan Freeman character in Seven, where he was just like, he just wanted, he was on his way out, and this case just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's too old for this shit. He is too old for this shit. Yeah, Murtaugh. Yeah. Which I'm fine with. Shit. Yeah. I'm fine with. I love that line at the, uh, the, well, the entire exchange in the motel pool. With the floozy, oh, the woman. right? Yeah. You shouldn't call her a floozy. With the woman, uh, who is obviously friendly, you know, but <laughs> and observant. You you can stay mir- <laughs> you can stay married, you know. Right. But you know, beer, beer, beer follows <laughs> beer, right? Beer leads to beer, like that's, you know. But that line where he says he's just looking for what's coming, and she right. says, uh, "Yeah, but no one ever sees that," and then fade to black. And then boom. I mean, the only thing that scene is missing, and it would have been probably two on the nose, but I don't know. Here's what it's missing. I haven't decided if it's two on the nose. 
in the background as it's starting to fade to black, I want to see that blue Ford pickup coming down the street. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be pulling into the parking lot, guns blazing or anything. But when they come and find him dead, she's dead in the pool. So she hasn't moved. You right. know, time frame wise, we're pretty close to exactly that moment. He's got a mm-hmm. chance to get back to his room. So he hasn't gotten into the pool with her. So, I mean, you're talking minutes from that fade to yeah. black. He fades to black. I want to see just a little bit of the blue pickup coming down the road behind him as they fade to black. And neither of them see it. And neither of them see it because they're looking at each other. They're having a human connection moment. It could have been even closer to that. Like He might have watched her get shot and then ran to the room to get his gun. And then that's where he got gunned down. Like it could have been. It could have been right then, and that's what I mean. If I could have just seen yeah. a little bit of that blue Ford, and it would have been hard to coordinate. Whatever CGI that mother in there. I want to see a blue Ford just coming down the road right as it fades to black. What would have been cool? I mean, it would have been dated. Although this movie does, it's a timepiece, so it is back in the like early eighties, late seventies, right? Yeah, nineteen eighty. So, um, because you could have had Anton at some point throughout the movie using a scope target. Not the not the yabang crap, but some kind of a dot of some point. So when he's talking to that girl, you might see a dot on her, and on then her. then it fades. Like you know that you don't see it happen, but you know that he's there. That would be too on the nose. And rem- well, I mean, it could have been literally on her nose, right? A red, a well, red maybe dot. not on her nose like Rudolph. Yabang! No, yabang. The, the problem is he's not the one that kills Llewellyn, right? It's it's the cartel. No. Cartel right. gets him. Okay. It's the thing he's not looking for, right? Exactly from that quote just before. I mean, that's the thing. He's looking for the pursuer he expects. And that's not what gets him. Right. Because you just never see what's coming. Hmm. Okay. So I had to go back to I'll Halloween. Watch it a few more times. Oh, it's so good. I had to go back to Halloween today. And I went straight to the high school scene. Uh, with the teacher talking to Lori about fate. About fate, right. And so I just grabbed the quote here, uh, and I would just drop it in as audio, but there's so much background noise, and it like intentionally fades the teacher out at one point so that you're focused on the music and Michael. So not the best audio experience. So basically, she says, what Samuels, the author they're talking about, is really talking about here is fate. You see... Fate caught up with several lives here. No matter what course of action Collins took, he was destined to his own fate, his own day of reckoning with himself. The idea that destiny is a very real, concrete thing that every person has to deal with. If that doesn't describe the first scene with Mm -hmm. Llewellyn and that decision, I mean, guys, we're talking about the same movie. It's just in Halloween, Mm -hmm. in Halloween, she goes to the real estate uh, to the house for sale, the Myers house. And then this, he goes and finds the cars. Hmm. And then you find out later that uh, Anton is Llewellyn's older brother. <laughs> yeah. In uh, No Country 2. <laughs> in No Country 2 in the hospital. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, we haven't seen Halloween 2 yet, though, so let's not talk about that. No. Sam Hearn. God, do we have to watch Halloween too? Yes. Uh, I love it. Uh, why is his <laughs> it's head still better shaped than so half weird? Half the Jason movies we watched. <laughs> Take that back. Ah, I can't. I can't. 
Take it's it still back. better than Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. better. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's better than, than Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> <laughs> it's still Myers. But not better than Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. It totally is. And I think the opening credits are eyebrows, better. Than... Eyebrows return. Eyebrows are going. Oh, guys, guys, update. I watched Silent Night, Deadly Night parts 4 and 5 and oh the recent sort of reboot called Silent Night. No comma? Just Silent Night, and it's got Santa with a flamethrower on the cover. And let me tell you, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 was something else. It wasn't good, (laughs) but it was something. And then Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 was pretty stupid and had some really questionable character names. But then it had one scene toward the end that was so over-the-top terrible. And by that I mean wonderful, garbage day style, <laughs> that it was almost <laughs> worth the time to watch it. So, almost. Long and short of it, four and five, uh, yeah. I mean, it might be better if you were like intoxicated, right? Like I was stone cold sober watching these during the day on a Saturday. So, I mean, I was in it to win it and I lost badly. Uh, but I imagine <laughs> if a person were into drinking alcoholic beverages, and watching dumb movies with their friends. Four and five are right on the money, man. Well, you did say Clint Howard is in there, right? Clint yeah. Howard plays eyebrow guy. Oh, no way. Yeah. Not nearly as eyebrowy, <laughs> but also generally... So he's an older version? Yeah, it's so oh, stupid. There's like God. some kind of weird sapphic cult, and they, there's bugs. A lot of bugs. There was. <laughs> so they channeled Phenomena? They channeled phenomena. They like almost predicted some Halloween part six. Jason goes to hell. It was a little bit in there. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so part five is like a Pinocchio tale kind of. And oh, so right. you said Geppetto. Yeah, yeah. The main store owner guy is his name is based on Geppetto. His name is Joe Petto. Oh, and they refer to him just as Petto. Petos. So you want to go to Pedos? Hey, we're gonna send the kid to Pedos, guys. This is not a good idea no. to do this. And then the kids, he he has a kid, Peto, 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 Peto has a child <laughs> whose name is Pino. So you've got Peto and Pino, and eventually it turns out that spoiler alert for Silent Night, Deadly Night Five. Don't listen if you want to know. If you don't want to know, wait. I got. Let me take my cans off. Pino is like Pinocchio. He's not a real boy. He's not a real boy. What? And then some stuff happens. And I, even in my like corrupted by all horror movies situation, I still went what. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, that was that was really ugh. yikes. And the fact that we're talking about. Silent Night, Deadly Night, during No Country for Old Men is pretty funny. Hey, we got to... How we got there. How how do we get here? Sometimes we just got to take a second, lay off the gas a little <laughs> bit, and just enjoy. <laughs> Speaking of laying on the gas, the flamethrower stuff in Silent Night, the reboot remake thing, I don't even know if it's associated, except at one point one guy goes, what is it, garbage day? And he takes the trash out. So I was like, okay, oh, I see uh, you. I see you. Um, it's terrible it's stupid it's like the worst of the recent reboot slashers I've seen 
barring uh, Black Christmas, uh, the first remake from like 15 years ago, that one is utter garbage. Skip that. Mm. Ew. Uh, this one's the second worst. But it gave me a kill that I had wanted in... I'm going to count five movies on my hand right now that should have had a kill that was in this movie. And so I actually kind of liked it. It's not good, but it gives you one kill that you've always wanted and it does it. And you're just like, yeah, that's how you fucking do that guys. So there, what's the kill? Uh, wood, spoiling anything. wood chipper. Nice. Yeah. I was like, mm. yep, nope. That's fucking cool. Okay. You did it. You did the thing I wanted in Jason reboot and all these other movies. Yeah, it was cool. Well, there is a Cohen movie that does involve a wood chipper. That's a good point. See, we're bringing it all full circle. <laughs> hey, now. Hey. Spoiler alert. It's Fargo. Oh, have yes. you seen that one? Damn it. Yes, I have. Man. All right, take it back off the list. So I... he he's seen 15 movies, Ugh. though. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> I still want to watch Fargo. I'd watch that again. You're allowed to watch it anytime you want. Yeah, you can watch it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's the funny yeah, thing about movies. You can even talk about it. <laughs> when we're done here tonight, you can go watch Fargo if you want to. It's free country. Don't you know? <laughs> God, is it Bobby's world again? Like, that's... My exposure to Minnesota accents was always just Bobby's mom on Bobby's world. Oh, right, right. No, my, I never even thought of it until Fargo. And McDermott's character is so awesome. She just plays it so great. So, guys, we have to talk about the end of this movie and Ed Tom and his wonderful finish. Now, guys, I have two stories about the ending of this movie. Story number one. I loved this movie the first time I watched it, and I made my in-laws watch it. When we first got a house with a theater room in it, I was like, oh, man, father-in-law, you have to see this movie. It's amazing. It has Tommy Lee Jones. You're going to love it. And he did. And Mm. then we got to the last scene of the movie. He throws his hands up and he goes, I want an ending. (laughs) He felt like he didn't get his money's worth with the ending. It does end abruptly. Second story about the ending of this movie. A couple of years later, I'm at a, a restaurant in my old town of Kansas City. And it's a restaurant I go to all the time. And if you go on a certain night of the week, there's a certain group of guys that hang out at this one table. They have a run of the place, but nobody talks to them because these guys are kind of tough guys. Mm. If you get my drift. One day I'm in there waiting for my order for takeout. And I hear this one tough guy say to the other tough guy, hey, yo, I saw No Country for Old Men. Ending didn't make any sense. And my dumbass went, oh, hey, hi, excuse me. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> and I sat there and talked philosophy with the scary guys for like a good 10 minutes till my order was ready. And then I skittered away before I told them my name. <laughs> and they didn't give you a wedgie even though you used the word skitter. No, no, I don't think okay. I don't think they sent Anton after me or anything. It's great. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So I love this movie and I love the ending. And I, well, what did you say to the uh, those gentlemen? Well, I broke it down with the dreams, right? I said mm-hmm. the first dream he talks about, you know, he's talking about his dad being a younger man and this weird conflict between his own mortality and his dad's mortality, which happened to come years earlier than his own. Mm-hmm. And then that feeling about 
you know, he talks about money that his father gave him, but he feels like he lost it. I said, that's not money, man. That's, that's like destiny. His, he thought he was taking the same thing that his father, his grandfather, I mean, they're a long line of cops. He thought, just like all of them, that he would live boldly and die in the job. Hmm. And he didn't. And now his, like, his own destiny that he had pre-planned for himself is gone. And now what? Hmm. You know? The thing that he'd been waiting for his whole life had passed him by. And then what? Like, he has no plan now because his plan never came true. Do you think he might have wished that he found that bag of money? No. And then he would have died on the job? No. No? No. You got to get away from the MacGuffin, man. That's just a distraction, man. I mean, just that, that whole he was... Like you said, like a lot of cops and military, it's honorable to, you know, basically live that life to the death. And if you die on the job, it's it's honorable. And he doesn't get he's been robbed of that because he actually lived to retirement. But so the second dream clears this up. Right. Okay. He talks about on a horseback in an olden time riding through dark mountains with his dad. Right. A terrifying relatable feeling of dread mountains old times darkness but then his dad without saying a word rides on ahead with the fire the color of the moon right beautiful image and he knows he feels in the dream that whenever he catches up his dad will still be there waiting for him right so even though he didn't get the ending he thought he would get and even though it leaves him somewhat flabbergasted as a retiree who doesn't have a plan anymore and doesn't necessarily feel like he fits in the world anymore because he had a purpose and then that purpose is over and he's still here and now what? Even though he has that feeling, he still knows in that dream, that feeling that it's still going to be him meeting up with his father eventually. Right. Yeah. I thought the ending was beautiful. Oh, my God. Dude. And then that whole thing about how he feels like God never found his way into his life. And his his uncle, mm. Ellis, looks, like, disappointed, right? But it's just this same perspective of, like, here is what I expect the world to give me in the years to come, right? He's He's not one who lives in the moment, and this moment I'm in is my destiny. He is the guy who projects out forward. And so he's like, yeah, I'll get old, I'll be a cop, things will happen, or, you know, and God will work his way in, and I won't have to go get him. And then he realizes, oh, he never never happened. All these plans he had never happened. But he's going to be okay. Deep. So good, man. It's good stuff. I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I bought it and haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> now now I'll be able to enjoy it. Yeah, one thing about this movie that's crazy, my dad in 1980 is just about uh, just about out of the academy. Where he'll go on to serve with his dad for a year or two before his dad dies. And there is so many similarities between the Tommy Lee Jones character in this movie at the time it comes out in the early 2000s and my dad's career at that point 
versus my dad, who is basically the ho sheriff guy at this point, working almost with his dad, who is Tommy Lee Jones's age, essentially, mm. in this movie time in 1980. But then his dad predeceased him by like 15 or 20 years even now. Like my dad's still alive, but he's outlived what his, his father did by over a decade. And so there's just so many parallels between those characters and the family I come from. And this, you know, the expectation and the line of uh, law enforcement of the family. I mean, this is a movie about my family on the side. Hmm. Yeah, minus the killing. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) That you can talk about. Yeah. I mean, there's that guy that's been chasing me since the restaurant, but... Right. (laughs) So where did you hide the money? (laughs) Ah, it was Ah. in the food. (laughs) No, we didn't chase chase money. We chased pizza. Nice. Yum. The money was just a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. All about them pizzas. Can we talk about the weapons? What do you call that weapon? A cattle putter downer? Like Oh, the air gun? That thing yeah. was. That's off the chain. What? That's a captive bolt pistol. Okay. And people can use that to break into your house pretty easily, apparently. <laughs> I love I love the fact that the first time you see it used, he it's just... in a forehead? Yeah, he like <laughs> asks the guy politely to just stand still or right. something like that. He treated him like cattle. He did. Basically. He, he straight up <laughs> slaughtered that guy. Yeah. So this is basically Leatherface if he could talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If he wasn't, you know, a four-year-old in the body of a monster. <laughs> That thing was just creepy. Well, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. The idea that when you hear about a serial murderer, you don't expect to see any reasoning or logic in their actions. And before they called them serial killers, they they called them spree killers, and they called Mm. them lust killers. Because there is so much, you know, negative, pejorative use of the word lust in their Mm. kills. In their, you know, spontaneous, uh, impulsive, repetitive murders. And this guy has no lust that you can see Mm -hmm. except to win that race to the MacGuffin as his destiny is, right? He is the maker of his own destiny and the destiny of many other people. Mm. Hmm. He also had a pretty cool shotgun. That thing was ridiculous. Oh, man. The violence in this movie is like, it's, you know, it's few and far between, but ugh, when it happens, ugh, it's gross. It's like RoboCop levels of gross. Mm. Yeah, I said to George, I'm like, my son would have passed out four, four or five times. Oh, already. I, you know, I forgot about the <laughs> self-surgery scene. I was like, oh, Travis's yeah. kid can't watch this movie. Nah, nope, nope, nope. be able to watch that. No. Just him taking his shoe off and the, blood pouring out of his Boot. bottom of his pant leg. Oh, yeah, so no. Good. Gabe would have been like, nope, I'm out. So good. <laughs> talk about talk about effects that look like real. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it looks like, like it, yeah. It's just like the blood pouring out of the pants. You're like, what? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and he, like when he got shot after he left the hotel in the alleyway and he got a few shots in the side. You're talking about uh, uh, Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Uh, when... He put his hand over, like, just the flow of the blood, just the, 
you could see every time he took the pressure off, it would just come out. Yeah, it, it looked was, real. Yeah, it was kind of like the way you think a gunshot would be. Like, you know how a lot of times in movies they show a gunshot where it's like, I don't know, like the 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 bullet like explodes into the yeah. person, and it's like, it's like everything's like it's seventy not, calibers. It's not like that right. in real life. You have a hole in you, and it bleeds. Like that's what a gunshot. It I mean, explode. Right. Right. Yeah. So I th- I feel like you know the shot to the the scar on the leg from the shotgun, the the grazing wound um, on uh, Llewellyn's shoulder, mm-hmm. um, all of the stuff, all the gore looked great in this movie. Yeah. The broken arm with the bone sticking out. Uh, it looked and super even real. Like the, the detail, like when he gets out of the car accident and he goes and he sits down. You're looking at the arm, but when you look at his face, just the bruising mm-hmm. and the one eyeball He's that's rattled. bloodshot. Yep. Like it, it's it's, it's almost like they had a like a real doctor on staff that said this is what this was, this would look like. Yeah, if this were to happen, we forget yeah, that no. all our favorite slasher movies are made, you know, for a budget smaller than you know most TV commercials, hmm. and then you get a big budget movie with this kind of power behind it and you're just like oh shoot like yeah that's mm-hmm. that's what that's supposed to look like yeah like the dead bodies in the opening scene like yeah I felt like I was at a real crime scene the only thing that looked fake was the dead dog and that's because it obviously was a fake dog and the people were real mm. but yeah the real dead people that they just strewn about the floor <laughs> well you can't get a dog delay still so you have to have a fake dog uh, obviously or may, the I people, mean the people the People had that that stare on their face, like mm-hmm. they they weren't dummies. They were actors, but they looked they looked the part. They didn't look like, usually when you see dead people, they just look like people with some blood on them. But these guys had uh, they had been laying there for a while, so they took a lot of time to make them look bloated and like starting to decay. This reminds me a lot. I, I had this realization the last time I watched Sounds of the Lambs, which was. After we recorded, where, I mean, an actress, it was her job to be the lady with the moth in her throat. Like, what kind of day on set is it where they're just, because that's not a dummy, that's just a lady laying Mm -hmm. on a table pretending to be, like, oh, man. And all the forensic photos were all the actors posed with makeup on. They weren't, none of them were dummies. Yuck. Yeah, yuck. But I mean, it was very effective in that movie. It was hell of effective, hella effective. Do people still say hella? Hella, hella uh, effective. Hell, yeah, did. yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, no, yeah, it was we can so say hella. effective. Oh my gosh! I don't think there was anything in this movie that was ineffective. <laughs> I mean, it was relatively perfect. I do agree the ending was abrupt, but the dialogue was sweet. So, well, it's that thing where it's like, it's whose story is it by the end, right? Like, you think it's Llewellyn's story the whole time, and then he Janet Lee's on you. And so mm. you're like, okay, well, it's the sheriff's story, but then he doesn't keep pursuing the guy because it's not his jurisdiction, and then he retires. So it just, it, you have to alter your expectations for what the story is and where you're going to end up at the end. I want to know the story of the guy that T boned Anton. I want to <laughs> see, I want to see <laughs> ten, 10 minutes prior to see what he was doing. Well, and that's the thing. When you talk about how Anton is so good at thinking five steps ahead and always being in control of these situations, 
that gives you a really good perspective on who he is in a moment of desperation, right? There's no way that he can predict that that's going to happen. And Mm. in that moment, he is as concerned with getting out of there as anything else. He doesn't try to kill the boys. He doesn't try to really hide his identity. He gives them the money and says, you didn't see me, and he takes off. So you see the drive of his character, right? The, the keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward. I am fate and I will keep moving. Juxtaposed against his own humanity and also like the wounded animal aspect of him. I mean, that's right. there's a lot going on in that acting that uh, at first glance, it's just like, oh, that's gross. That guy's arms all jacked up. But there's a lot in that scene to unpack, I think. Well, he's got a lot to think about. He just killed somebody. He's fleeing the scene of an accident. He's a one in man f- on many levels. These kids have seen him. Like, there's a bunch of things he's thinking about. But it's that, that uh, was it flight or flight s- kind of mentality? Where I saw that car that hit him as fate. You know, like it's he, like he finally his meet fate. his fate. But we'll yeah. never know what that fate is because they don't they don't continue to follow him. So no, we'll know what no, happens that's, with him. No, that's not like, I don't mean like that's his death or whatever, you know, but that was part of his story mm. you know well, yeah, it's like that like that him. quarter in his pocket like yeah. all of this happened for him to end up in that intersection at that time mm-hmm. yep perfectly timed and then boom he didn't expect it you never see it coming you know and it was his drug cartel and well no and that, <laughs> like that kind of that, that kind of he he isn't just fate he's also subject to fate too hmm and I think that this movie is actually about Ed Tom. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's the main character in this movie. Top billing. I mean, just, you know, the title. Well, usually yeah, that character exactly. is the main character, and everything going on around them affects their story. Mm-hmm. Like, like the Morgan Freeman character is the main character, but he's not the most interesting character out of the movie, so he doesn't seem to be the main character. Yeah. But in the end, he is. Usually the retiring cop is the one that uh, they're focusing on by showing the the grand uh, story based around the fact that this guy just is on the end tail end of his career and he's going to retire, but life will go on and there's going to be a lot of shit going on even with him not there. It's funny that in this movie they use Ed Tom for basically just witnessing stuff. You know, like they don't, he doesn't ever get involved in the story that much. Right. You know, by the time he gets involved, you know, by the time he gets involved, Llewellyn is already dead. And. Just a couple of phone calls. Like yeah. He, he talked to her. A yeah. Few times. Like I loved when, you know, when they figure out there's still like condensation on the milk hmm. carton and, you know, the rookies like. We gotta, we gotta put it on the radio, and he's like, "And tell him what, so, you know, Man we're looking, milk. we're looking for, yeah. we're looking for someone that drank recently drank milk, like, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you just, you see the whole movie through, you know, through Ed Tom's eyes. When there's that line when he comes upon Llewellyn dead, and he says to the lady in the next room, you know, call the police, and then. He kind of says to himself, because she's Spanish speaker, she doesn't understand what he said anyway, so he says in Spanish, call the police. Then he says to himself, in like a gruff, defeated way, your local law enforcement, I'm not on their radio. 
right? Mm. He is a passive observer where before mm-hmm. he knows he once was an active participant. Right. But just as all these other things are starting to pass him by, this this event too, which he was trying so hard to help mediate from his kind of paternal stance, it's, it's just the realization to him that he's not, he's not in this anymore. Sad in a way. Kind of beautiful. Hmm. But definitely sad. The conversation that he had with the, I forget the other guy's name or what, I guess the guy in the wheelchair, he was also... Oh, Ellis, his, his yeah, his cousin or, cousin or uncle. He wasn't wasn't uncle. he a captain at some point? Yeah, they're all in law law enforcement, right? You know the conversation that he had, you know that Ed Tom had with him, like, you know, he told him a story like of a senseless murder that happened in 1908, right? You know, and basically says it's always been this bad. It's always been this bad. It's just now you're an old man. Yep. And that's such a good scene too because it just it takes your expectation for how long this journey's been going for Ed Tom and it adds like 50 years to it. Mm-hmm. Because when you see an old cop you think okay, you know, probably been serving around 25 30 years, right? So you can do the math and you're like, "All right, this is how long he's been in." Well, then you find out okay, his dad and his grandfather, and you're like, "Okay, yeah, more years. We add more years." But until you hear that date it doesn't become real that it's like we're talking about 70 years of struggle between good and evil in this family and just everybody in this family fighting that fight. Hmm. Good stuff. I want to see the movie about Ed Tom's son who ends up in like some really boring like paper pushing uh, <laughs> kind of job and doesn't, doesn't do shit. And then he starts a podcast. That part's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that he gets, like, sucked into a case somehow. Oh, I can only hope. (laughs) And that his law or crime-solving, crime-fighting genes kind of just take over and he can't help himself to get involved. I'll tell you a story. The other night, I was playing a video game with my kids, right? Red Dead Redemption 2. You might have heard of it. It's on sale now, George. It's five bucks. Like, you got five bucks. Buy this cowboy game. We'll play together. It'll be fun. I don't have any time. Oh, dude. You don't need time. You, well, it's actually, yeah, you need a lot of time. Yeah, I need time. Oh, it's so time. good, though. Travis, kick your kid off the PlayStation. Let's play Red Dead. It's so much fun. <laughs> uh, I'm playing with my kids. They're not allowed to fire their weapons. They're not allowed, unless they're hunting. I allow them to hunt because it's part of like a business. Uh, they're running a business as fur traders. So I let them hunt animals. <laughs> but I don't let them fight other players because they don't need to be murdering people. But every now and then in that game, something will happen where some other player in the server, because it's all online, will start a mission that everybody else that wants to can get involved. Right? So it'll be like, oh, you've got a big wagon of supplies. Uh Uh-oh, now all the other humans can come and steal your supplies and steal your money, you know, that kind of thing. The other day, (laughs) my uh, oldest kid goes, hey, Dad... There's a rivals mission going on in my server. I turn, look at his screen, and before I turn back, I've already hit all the buttons to drop my server and join his server. <laughs> so he I just don't follow that cart, right? So he's following this cart. I spawn in behind him. I zoom up ahead, 
blow up these two carts and just ruin these two human players' day, right? I jumped servers, crossed the internet plane, and chased these guys down for no reason except that I had to chase, right? I had like the, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, "Oh, I gotta do." I was like a dog with a car, man. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "What do right? if I ever caught one?" And I oh, I'll tell you what you do. You fire some fucking dynamite arrows. You blow those motherfuckers up, and you ruin their day. <laughs> I tell you this story to tell you this story. When my dad retired, one of the uh, do a big thing, you know, a bunch of police come up and tell stories about his career and make fun of him and stuff. And one of the guys who gets up there, he goes. You know, I'll always remember Dan. That's my dad's name, too. Uh, I'll always remember Dan because if there was a high-speed chase in the state of Missouri or Kansas, Dan was coming. (laughs) Didn't matter where it was. (laughs) Dan was hopping on the radio and going to take off and see what he could do to get involved. And I hadn't thought about that. He's been retired for over a decade. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. And here I am mashing the, uh, the button to get my horse to go as fast as possible to just chase down these guys. And I was like, oh, there it is. Yep. That's my dad. <laughs> Genetics. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even think of it. It's just a reaction. I must do it. And then, you know, you get stuff done and you feel like a real bad motherfucker. Now, those guys that you chased down and blew up, they had already. It was me, by the way. I was very pissed off about that. <laughs> no. They had, they had, the reason why you did that was because they had already hijacked this wagon. No, this was, this was hours of work that they'd put in that I just. Totally fucked up. It was up a for wagon him. full of school books. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fur goods that they'd hunted, and yeah. you know they'd they'd picked the best animals, and they'd hunted efficiently, and worked hard to get supplies to turn those animals into tradable goods for money. And they had hundreds of dollars <laughs> of in-game currency coming to them if they could just. Oh, Dan blew them up, stole all their shit. If you could figure out a way to bring Part Seven Jason into their campfire. Mm. That would be sweet. Mm. I do have a machete that I like to use, <laughs> and a cool mask, but it's not a hockey mask. But I mean, you can uh. you can do that. I actually right now I'm dressed like the Undertaker. I don't know why. It's just I was like, oh hey, the Undertaker's hat. I'm like, oh I can do the the, the throat slit. Jet. I'm like, oh we're doing the Undertaker. So now I'm just like the Undertaker, and I made my face look like Fabio Testi. So I'm the Fabio Testi Undertaker, the Testi Taker. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh, all the time. and you're also dressed like the Undertaker in real life in your basement right now. Hey, I've got a. You are, aren't you? But you're like 1986 Undertaker. You got the purple. I've got a pretty cool on. shirt on, guys. It says, "Look on my shirt, ye mighty and despair." So I've got a Percy Shelley parody on my shirt right now. Nice. Yeah. Hey, mine so, says uh, "Book of the Recently Diseased." Oh, I like that. That's really timely, actually. <laughs> Mine says Byron Amplification. Oh, nice. shout out to our first sponsor. Oh, Actually, I think I'm wearing my Batman. What's the t-shirt? opposite of a yep. sponsor? Where I just give all my money to a guy. Batman. What's the opposite of a sponsor? Yeah, this podcast, opposite of the sponsored by Byron, who I keep giving all my money to because he builds great amps. <laughs> <laughs> I can... Uh, I was going to say contributor, but that's not right. I don't know. He said he's never seen or he doesn't know anything about movies. And I'm like, hmm. Well, he we should. ever need to revisit Friday the 13th. We got Byron. <laughs> Byronamps.com. That's B-Y-R-O-N-A-M-P-S.com. Byron Amps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> hey, guys. I'm j- 
Pacelli. We should probably tell George what he's watching next week. Okay, so uh, I believe our next film is going to be along the lines of what we've been doing, uh, but a little more of a classic, not so modern. Okay. We will be watching uh, Dirty Harry. Seen it. What? He saw another movie. Just kidding. No, I haven't. Oh. Hey. Hey. No, really, though. Have you seen Dirty Harry? No, have you? I don't know. Have I? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't like this game. <laughs> I don't know how we figure out if you've seen it or not. I guess I got to watch it well, until you get George, you're familiar with the speech. I heard you reference the speech in the Silence of the Lands yeah. episode. Yeah, I'm mm. I'm familiar with the character. But I learned a... that speech from like some childhood cartoon. Like I didn't, you know, that that speech I... is everywhere. This movie exists in pop culture in a way that most yeah. movies don't. I learned it mm. from a Jim Carrey stand-up. He did a Clint Eastwood impression and that's what he does that that bit. Cuz I wasn't allowed to watch Dirty Harry. Aren't when I was there a kid. aren't there lots of Dirty Harry movies or no? There's, There's a few. 5 there's a few. I Dirty Harry is the original. I Actually, Jim Carrey's in one of them. Jim Carrey is in Deadpool. So that's fun. Does he talk about that in his stand-up? Like, oh, by the way, I was totally that weird guy. I was the Buffalo Bill of Deadpool. Um, the The stand-up I'm referring to is when he was James Carrey. It was way before he even... Actually, I think he's credited as James Carrey in Deadpool. That's what I'm thinking. Like, Maybe from the yeah. same era. Interesting. But he doesn't mention it. He should do that on set in front of Clint Eastwood. Although I'd, I wouldn't <laughs> want to get punched in I'm the sure face. So. I'm sure he has. He does. He becomes him. It's a good impression. He even torts, you know, distorts his face. So I've definitely seen a scene from a Dirty Harry movie. Right. <laughs> okay. Where he delivers the speech. I don't know which movie it was. I don't even know if I saw the whole movie. I doubt it. I think I was just like flipping through and maybe it like past like me tv and i was like oh cool a western or, i mm. don't know okay um all right do we do we leave the choice up to him or no, we make I, him watch it anyway we're gonna make him watch it. this is good he doesn't know no, enough i don't he even if he has seen it he doesn't know enough about this movie to talk about it so i can't tell you the last time i saw this movie so oh really oh man probably it's been at least 15 20 years oh shoot so man this it. is like an annual yeah. watch for me i oh, love this okay. movie i remember liking it but I think I, I don't know. I, I don't remember enough of it to be like, oh, yeah, I watch it every year. So mm. this will be fun for me we'll as well. get to work on your impression. <laughs> do you feel lucky? Yeah. I, can't, I don't know if I could do the Clint Eastwood. Well, you got a week. A week well, to got a week there. to work on it. Well, do you? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> I know you're asking yourself a question. Did I fire five shots or six? Was that, it, is that the, yeah. was it yeah. 19 inches or 20 inches? It's a 357 Magnum. It'd blow your head clean off. I think it's a 44. We talked about this 44? in uh, Sound Slams. I think that was a 44 as well. Because I've, okay. I've, I've held and fired a 357. It was a large gun, but it wasn't like cartoonishly large. But when he does a speech, doesn't he say 357 Magnum? I think Magnum? he says it's a 44 Magnum. But 44 Magnum. Okay. We'll find that's, out that's next possible. week. We'll uh, two weeks out. from now. We'll yeah. find out today. But first, let's meet our contestants. Oh, I'm excited. This is going to be a good one.
this was a good one. I love this movie. I might watch it again because I was talking about it. My wife wants to watch it, and so I think we'll probably watch it tomorrow. No Country. My wife will not want to watch this oh, movie. It's so I think good. Jen might like this. We're 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 done Mandalorian, so we're gonna find something else to watch. Maybe we'll watch this. Hmm. Well, thanks for joining us on the Remedial Film Class podcast. As always, you can find us at Twitter and Instagram at at Remedial Film Pod. You can find the extra credit discussion group at facebook.com slash groups slash Remedial Film Pod or just hit us up at facebook.com slash Remedial Film Pod for the page. You can also email us at remedialfilmpod at gmail.com. We'll see you back in two weeks for Dirty Harry, punk. (laughs) 